Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. And that brings us to step nine, uh, which is to steward all of my life for the glory of God. Uh, The way that we've said it here is learning to live for something instead of in response to something. Uh, To steward something just means to use it for God's intended purpose. One of the natures of trauma is that it disrupts life in such a way that we begin to live for self-protection and I don't say that with any guilt connotation, but we begin to live to feel safe instead of to live fulfilled. And that that is not very satisfying. And so it's at this stage in the journey uh, that we, uh, we make sure that we are not just running from something, but we're running to something. Uh, Judith Herman here, uh, while she's not a Christian, at least to my knowledge, uh, I think she writes wonderfully on trauma, as you've gotten from the number of quotes, Uh, But I love how she closes uh, this part. She says, Having come to terms with the traumatic past, the survivor faces the task of creating a future. She has mourned the old self uh, that the trauma destroyed. Now she must develop a new self. The old beliefs gave meaning to her life, have been challenged. Now she must find a new and sustaining faith. And so I give you nine questions here that are just... if. If you go, I don't know how to think about God's will for my life and how to pursue it uh, that would meant to be a part of that. And so, am I willing to commit my life to whatever God asked me to do? That's a pretty good indicator of how safe I feel in His care. Do I feel like God is a bad man, boogeyman, who would ask me to do something that would be horrible? Or do I feel like He's a loving Father who created me for purposes that I will find the most delight in life when I do those things? When I view God rightly, that's not a scary question. What, is the, what roles has God placed me in? The vast majority of stewarding my life for the glory of God is living well in the basic relationships that He's put me in. Um, what are my spiritual gifts? What groups of people am I burdened for? What am I passionate about? Uh, what talents and abilities does God bless me with? Uh, what are my unique experiences? And I would encourage you, just to make whatever trauma you've experienced just one among many. Don't make trauma the defining unique experience that you've had. Um, it, it may be that God wants to use you in the area of uh, countering the effect of the kind of trauma that you experience, and that's wonderful. Don't feel like you're confined to that. Um, where do my talents and passions match up with the needs of my church and community? How can I bring all of those things together? Uh, to glorify Him. Uh, Tim Lane. He says, Post-traumatic stress is serious and debilitating form of suffering. It can cripple a person's to live life, uh, relate to others, or function with some measure of stability, but it cannot prevent you from glorifying God. It can make it more challenging and difficult, but it cannot render you incapable of loving God and loving others by His grace. I... I want to close with a passage of Scripture 
uh, that may have been the dreaded passage of Scripture when we were coming in here. Uh, Kind of the one that if I had to pick one verse that everybody in here is going, I hope he doesn't use it. Um, I think this would probably be the one. And I can't trace all nine steps and how Paul gets up to this passage. But I want you to see the heart of the journey that we've laid out in the way that Paul came to Romans 8.28. So Romans 8.28 says, uh, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And, And we hear that, and in light of trauma, we cringe. And I cringe with you, and that doesn't have to be a happy verse that you cross-stitch on a pillow and feel good about life. Um, But I want us to look at, how did Paul get there? Because I think we'll hear a lot of what we've covered. Verse 25, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now words like hope and patience, they're nice words, but they are not pleasant experiences. When we hope and when we are patient, it means we are a context where what we want is not available, where we are going through stress and we are getting worn down. Uh, Patience and waiting are exhausting. And that's where Paul goes next. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we are exhausted and weak, we reach the point where we don't know what to do. I don't advocate for his coaching approach, uh, but Bob Knight uh, has a saying where he says, fatigue makes fools of us all. And that's where Paul goes next. He said, for we do not know what to pray. We're at a point where we are beat down, exhausted, strapped, tired. We, We don't even know how to put into words what we're going through. He says, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. And when you hear that word intercede, I want to ask you, who does that mean the Holy Spirit is talking to? Does that mean the Holy Spirit is down in your ear going, look, God knows what He's doing. He's never let you down. I mean, I know it looks bad, but I trust this guy. You should trust Him too. You got this. When we intercede to someone, do we give them a pep talk? No. We talk to God on their behalf. And so the Spirit, in the midst of this moment, where we are weak and without words, is interceding for us. And look at how He's praying. With groaning too deep for words. In these moments, when the Holy Spirit prays for us, it is not a seminary, theologically prayer, where everybody goes, mm, He knows Jesus. It's just with moaning and grunts. And we get the sense that not even our silence can be silent before God. Because it is being translated perfectly to the Father. Um, And he who searches hearts, that means he knows us completely, and knows what is the mind of the Spirit, he knows God completely, um, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's on the basis of that kind of interaction. The Spirit who indwells us, that is perfectly in tune with what's going on, is praying and translating that experience perfectly to God in keeping with His will. It's on the basis of that dynamic connection that He will never lead us 
or forsake us. That He has suffered in every way that we are. That He is well acquainted with everything that we've been through. That He is our pioneer and our hero. That we can have a degree of confidence. That He will be good to us. That trauma will not have the last word. That we will not be left voiceless and powerless. Uh, And that uh, is how we get to verse 28. Uh, And it's to that end uh, that I would like uh, to pray with you. Lord, we come to you. We come to you weary and heavy laden. We come to you in need of help. We are glad that we can be weak. That you don't tell us to try harder and do more and have more faith and believe stronger, um, but that you will walk with us as a good shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death. That you are patient and strong. In the midst of our fears, we can still be safe. Lord, in the midst of all the lies that suffering tells us, give us a heart to cling to your truth. Let us hear the error in it, even when it is very convincing. Lord, help us be surrounded by people who love us well, even when our emotions are raw and our reactions are inconsistent. Lord, grow us to such a way that we would be sources of hope and light to others who are in similarly dark places. In your name we pray. Amen.